Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Why do we as Christians worry so much about who is in charge on this earth? Why do we find it necessary to make sure the kingdoms of this world are fixed to our liking? Guess what? We already have a new boss or a boss who has, in fact, been in charge for thousands of years already. But for some reason, we gloss over that very fact. Today, Duncan joins me to talk about his fantastic article, Tyrants Be Gone. Say hello to the new boss. Duncan, how are you doing, my friend? Doing all right, thanks. Just getting over the maybe the big C, but you know, I the big C. I've never gone for any of the tests or shots or any of that garbage. So, uh, but by God's kindness, I'm recovering, doing well. I I never really trusted the tests because you know they were coming out pretty early on. Well, not early on, maybe a little ways down. They're starting to realize that maybe this is not what they thought it was. And a lot of the tests were coming out. They couldn't it couldn't differentiate between the flu and COVID. And so it was real. I didn't, re- I didn't trust them. I didn't see the point in getting tested. If you didn't know if you had the, cause they pretty much said the flu had gone away and it was all COVID. And I'm like, I <laughs> yeah. And the fact that uh, various fruits and vegetables were testing positive kind of threw me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty strange. And then they told me that you could get, you could catch uh COVID from your cats. I've got three cats and I was thinking, well, my cats don't go outside. So I'm pretty sure if they catch COVID, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'll be fine. We only have one in the house. So <laughs> yeah, well, I live where I live. There's quite a bit of wildlife and I, I, so I, had to, I had to keep them inside. They don't, they're not really interested in going outside anyway. So they, they stay in and I'm happy about that. That way I don't have to worry about them running around some, you know, rabid dog or rabid bull for anything out there. Sounds good. All right. So, um, you wrote this article, I, from your website and sent it to us and we published it on the badroman.com and it got a lot of great traction. It got a lot of um, shares from folks who follow the project. People really latched onto it. I shared it in, in our private discussion group and people really loved it. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a great piece and I really appreciate you sending it to us. I enjoyed the article myself and what we do is try, we try to get folks on who, who submit articles to us. We get them on and talk about it a little bit further so we can have a conversation about it and that's helped us keep content going and keeping the project going. So we really appreciate uh, folks sending us stuff to uh, read. And thank you very much for sending that to us. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, people reading it. That's what <laughs> I wrote it with the hope that people would read and, and get a new, a new uh, glimpse of uh, what the good news really is. Yeah. And I think that's, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. And, before we get into that article, I want to get some background from you and um, tell us a little bit, whatever you're comfortable telling us about yourself, so people can be a little more familiar with you and know who they're hearing from on the show today. Sure. Uh, so I, I grew up in the 1950s and 60s in a, in a very different America. But of course, I, I swallowed all of the stuff I was taught in school, that I lived in a free country and, you know, it was the freest country in the world. And Grew up in a household of, of Republicans, and uh, when JFK was elected, it was 
you know, pretty much the end of the world at that point for my family and, and my folks and their peers. So I kind of naturally was in that realm politically. Uh, fast forward quite a ways, um, strongly supported Ron Paul when he was running for office both times and had the privilege of meeting, uh, meeting the man and shaking his hand. And then now fast forward a little bit further and, and nothing against him. I, you know, I don't quite understand how even a, even a gentleman as uh, astute as he is can uh, still be so politically active. But um, I learned a lot from a gentleman by the name of Larkin Rose. Well, let me back up just a bit. Back in the early 90s, I came to the realization that hey, I wasn't really quite as free as I thought I was. Uh, I was being extorted for income tax on a regular basis. At my discoveries at that time were that, that, in fact, it's all a fraudulent system that deceives the average American into believing they owe taxes that they absolutely do not owe. Came across Larkin Rose and uh, followed some of his adventures resisting the, the taxation beast. Probably learned more from his book, The Most Dangerous Superstition, than pretty much any other book I had ever read. Uh, he also had a podcast called Outside the Cage, which was also remarkably good. I recommend, highly recommend both of those things. In fact, uh, even though Larkin is not a believer, uh, I would be pretty comfortable standing him in pretty much any pulpit in America because he has things to say to God's people, namely, look in the mirror, people. You know, do you really believe uh, what you say you believe? Do you really believe that you should love your neighbor as yourself? Well, if that's true, why are you oppressing them by delegating oppression to the state to to hurt your neighbor speaking of uh ron paul then i want to talk about larkin rose a little bit too because he's been very helpful for me as well but you mentioned ron paul how he can still be so engaged with uh the political realm and stuff and i i that is something that i i become increasingly more frustrated with when it comes to anarchists these days because they seem to keep be going in reverse and going back towards the Libertarian Party and trying to work through the Libertarian Party to, to achieve more liberty and this and that. And I was like, what do you need? I said, speaking of Ron Paul, and I've said this a number of times now, Ron Paul proved once and for all that you cannot change the mafia from the inside out. If anybody was going to do it, it's going to be Ron Paul, right? Right. And he couldn't, he didn't do it. Why are you, why are you still bothering with that? We've got to go, we have to move forward. We have to get past that because that's not working. We've been trying that for 200 something years now in this country. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge futility. Since being influenced by Larkin Rose and having conversations with him and reading his books and so on, I pretty much confessedly am an anarchist. And I, I use that label advisedly just to, to kind of get listeners into the right category. I think that words and language, and, and by the way, language is a huge issue for me, language and especially the language uh, of the Bible and Bible translation. I think that we're in a lot of trouble as the church and have been there for a long time because of egregiously bad Bible translations. Uh, our adversary, the devil, has gotten his 
little uh, clause into the translating committees and have, has really messed the church up. I couldn't agree more with that. That's something else that too that has been so frustrating to me because we, when you look at how the Bible is misquoted, mistranslated, and, and misread, it, it leads to sixty thousand different denominations in America alone. When when I see something like that, when I start sit down and just think about that for a minute, it seems very there's something wrong with that to me. Why are we so confused on what it says as Christians, you know, and that's why I'm taking the step just to get back to the basic teachings of Christ. And I really don't get into a lot of theological debates with folks anymore because a lot of it goes over my head. So I just keep it very basic. And I've mentioned that quite a bit on the show. And I want to say something about Larkin Rose too. I've, I've interacted with him a little bit on uh, social media. And I think he has a, a even you, you mentioned he's not a believer, but I think he has a respect for Christian anarchists to an extent. As far as I can tell, he certainly does. So anarchist literally means no arc, no archist, no ruler. And that's really a bit of a misnomer. So I'm going to refine things a bit and say what I really am, I, I believe in no human ruler, uh, no mere mortal human ruler. Let's put it that way. I, I would call myself a thearchist. That is, God is the only legitimate ruler, God, our creator, Jesus Christ himself, who uh, formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And, you know, from Adam's progeny, we've all come forth. I was just reading uh, in Acts 17 this morning that, uh, you know, God formed us all from one man and uh, dis dispersed us in nations all around the world. But because we are his creatures, he has the absolute right to rule us and to do what he will with us and to direct us. But the absolutely fabulous, spectacularly good news is that he's a benevolent ruler and that he does care about his creatures and creation. And so he is the one king, the one true ruler that I can absolutely wholeheartedly subscribe to, follow, believe in, uh, admire, and praise and tell, tell the nations about. So I am a, a thearchist or a, a Christarchist, if you will. There you go. I've never really heard it put like that. And I think you mentioned the article a little bit too. That was a fir my first uh, time hearing that phrase before, thearchy. <laughs> so when I'm speaking with uh, Christians, I've, I try to depending on the, the, the audience or depending on who I'm engaging, I'll use the phrase anarchy because it might trigger a conversation because they really don't understand what it means. They have, they have an understanding of what anarchists means when they listen to somebody like Donald Trump or Sean Hannity, right? So that that's not anarchy. And I've, that's been one of the, the bane of my existence trying to explain what it actually is to some of these folks. But on the other hand, sometimes I use the term voluntarist because it seems to when you explain it like a voluntary society and how we're supposed to engage each other voluntarily, that makes more sense in a Christian's head, I think, than using the term anarchist. But if, unless they understand what anarchist actually is, I've talked to Christians who understand what anarchy is. They just haven't quite made it to that. There's a, there's a level of fear that they cannot get past for some reason. Right. Well, of course, the, the enemy has taken the term and, and perverted it and, uh, you know, tried to make people think that it's all bomb-throwing radicals that uh, are out to destroy the world, which is 
we're, words are, are words. It's like, um, you know, like uh, Lewis Carroll says in the Alice in Wonderland, you know, the words are going to be, we want words to be our servants and not the other way around. But we certainly do have to be aware of, of what people think of it. And I'm, I'm very happy with the term voluntarist as well. Um, and in fact, that's a huge theme of what I've been writing about about the church and about the kingdom of God and how significant the voluntary aspect of that is and how radically different the, the kingdom of God is in that sense from the kingdoms of the, or what I prefer to call the fiefdoms of Satan. <laughs> He's a, a tin pot uh, dictator and, you know, there's a bunch of so-called kings, but um, none of them really uh, have any authority, no, no legitimate authority. Right. You know, and I think if we could go back in time and speak with some of the early church, you know, the, the folks in the Bible in the new Testament and then, then beyond, you know, even the, the first 400 years, if, if you went back and explained the phrase, cause they didn't use phrases like anarchist or voluntarist, they just lived it. Uh, but if you could go back in time and talk to these folks and explain what anarchist is or, a voluntary society would look like they would understand it because they were already living it. And that's why I, we, we had somebody on the show, um, Jordan from the reckless saints of nowhere at the time of this recording, it's actually going to be published next week, but they work with a lot of uh, dr drug addicts and stuff and getting them, getting them help. But we got into some Christian anarchist uh, conversation with him. Me and Abby, Abby was on the show with me that day and she, uh, we talked about it and he, I said, you know, when you, you say Christian anarchist, he, I said, but I've also just decided sometimes just call myself a Christian. He goes, well, that should mean the same thing. And he's not, an, he doesn't consider himself an anarchist yet, I don't think. But um, when you say Christian, you should automatically just think of yourself as an anarchist when it comes to the kingdoms of this world. It, they should be synonymous. They should be. And so a lot of the times they're not. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the church has gotten in bed with the state and um, it's really messed things up, really messed things up big time. You mentioned the history of things, and I'm, I'm a, a remedial student of history because as I dig into this and try and understand things more, I find myself having to go back and, and learn more about the history of the church that I, I've never been a good student of history the older i've gotten the more interested in history i've gotten and the longest the longer this project has gone i've become infatuated and fascinated by the early church and i'm talking you know prior constantine right because if we just go back and read the stuff that they were talking about man it is it's so true it's so it should be this is how the church should be behaving today and you know they had their quarrels they didn't agree on everything back then just like christians today aren't, aren't going to agree on everything you know and we could go into so many different things that people argue about today. And they had some of the same things, but they were pretty, it was pretty universal among them who their king was. Yep. And they followed, followed lockstep with that idea, you know, you know, their, their, their nonviolence uh, attitude, you know, they, there was pretty universal among them, you know, but, but then there's a lot of things that they fought about too. And I get that, you know, like you talk to talk about somebody like Tertullian. I'd read a lot of Tertullian. I did not know um, that he he believed in eternal conscious torment. When I read that, I was like, oh, well, I don't know, because I used to believe in that. I don't any longer, right? But 
I didn't know that about him. But it, when I hear that, it doesn't take away the other things that he's said about the state. He was very vocal. Tertullian was very vocal when it came to the state. And I, I love reading his stuff when it comes to that. Yeah, I've appreciated your references to him. I've, I've looked him up on the web and started reading a little bit here and there, but I still have a, a long ways to go. What Christians tend to forget, too, that a lot of these folks, not a lot, but some of them were taught directly by the apostles. Like you take talk somebody like or talk about somebody like Polycarp, he was taught directly by the apostle John. So I think it's I think it's important that we go back and read the stuff that these guys were writing because they had they were a lot closer to the situation than we are. We've gone the church today has gone so far the the opposite direction of what these these guys were doing. These guys and gals were doing, you know, how they were behaving. Speaking of it, the very word church is an is an absolute is pretty much absolutely the, the worst possible word that could have been used to translate ecclesia. In fact, uh, the Greek word ecclesia if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that it was in common use at the time. It was just a gathering of people that managed the local city. And so what I, you know, I, I, one of my projects for the last couple of years, I, I'm still working at it, is reading through the New Testament in Greek. And I, I've been a Greek student for a long time, but I, I've always been a dabbler as a student, never been a really really strong student. And um, lately in the last few years, I've just made up my mind, by golly, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get my head in there and really, you know, read it for the first time in Greek and really try and get a, a whole picture of the New Testament. So I'm, I'm coming away with some major, in my thinking, major points. And um, one is that the ecclesia, it's the there, there's a half a dozen good English words that could have been used instead of church. Uh, it's an assembly, it's a gathering, it's a congregation. Uh, any of those words could have been used. Um, the church that I attend uh, here in Southern California recently had a name change and they solicited ideas from the congregation and my t number one choice would have been city management group <laughs> because i believe that's what in fact the new testament teaches that the church is to be it is to be the replacement local group that uh, guides the local population only according to totally different principles than the fiefdoms of satan that we've become so used to and and uh inured to yes I, I, that's that I think that's great that you want to study the Greek. I, w I would love to learn that language because and be able to read the New Testament from the Greek. Are you familiar with David Bentley Hart? No, I'm not. He has a, a translation he, from the Greek, a New Testament translation from the Greek. He's, uh, he's, he's done it himself. And even some of his critics, you know, because there's going to be some things they don't agree with him on, said that he did a very good job of the, his translation. I got this. And it's just the New Testament, and he translated it from the Greek. You know, a lot of people say, well, all the Bibles are translated from the Greek. I said, were they, though? I mean, because, you know, when you go back to somebody like, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, though, but he, he couldn't, he didn't understand the Greek. He hated the Greek language, and so he translated the Bible into Latin. Right. But so you, when you got all these different translations, I think it'd be, it would be so cool to be able to understand the Greek language and go back and read the original Greek text that they were writing in, because I think when you read this New Testament version, that, that, that Bentley Hart put out, you can see the differences in it. For like, if you go to the King James version or the 
uh, new the new United the new trains whatever they call them these these days. But there's some very they seem like maybe small differences, but they can change they change so much the meaning of what it's saying because like when you go to Romans 13 they talk about uh, submitting to the you know to governing authorities and you go to Acts five but it says we're we're it normally would say we're to obey God rather than man. In this translation, and I, and it's just one word, and it was so it was it caught my eye. Is that it is necessary that we obey God rather than man? It doesn't say we're are to. It says we. It is necessary that one nece- that one word necessary. You know, I've always used that scripture when people want to come at me with Romans thirteen. But when I read it with that in that translation, that very 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 simple word necessary changed even Acts five for me. And that's what I love so much about this translation because it really kind of opens your you can see a lot of how a lot of this stuff's being mistranslated and is being preached like this in the, in the churches, and it's just one word, and it changes everything. <laughs> yeah, let me let me encourage you, Craig, to to dive into some Greek if you know if you have any interest at all, and I'd be happy to encourage you along the way and coach you a bit. I would love that. I would love that. We're connected on that Signal uh, app on on our phone, so we t- we message quite a bit sometimes when we have time and. That would be really cool if, you know, we're fixing to get busy at work. That would be really cool if we could kind of do that together and you could kind of yeah. teach me some things along the way because I'm not a smart person. <laughs> so you might get frustrated frustrated with me along the way as well. Ne- neither am I. And one of the, it's actually one of the things that encourages me is 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul says, you know, look around you, brothers, you know, not too many bright guy, bright illuminate <laughs> luminaries, you know, and so I go, whoa, Lord, maybe there's hope for me to to do a podcast because I identify with that. (laughs) Me too, so much on so many different levels, actually. And as far as uh, Greek goes, I, I, one of my series of articles is, I call it the curmudgeon's Bible, in which I I bitterly complain about translator uh, issues and errors, so you might find some of those articles interesting. When you when you get when we get done here, won't you send me that? I'd like to read that because I, I I would probably find that pretty amusing actually, because I I'd yeah. probably agree with it as well. So you said you grew up in the fifties and sixties, and when JFK was was elected, it it ruined everybody's you know because. A household full of Republicans. I grew up in a house, you know, a house full of Republicans as well in West Texas. So I understand that part. But I was born in the seventies. Now, where what changed your your mind to get you into this idea of Christian anarchy? Oh boy, other than Lark and Rose and Ron Paul, but, but, but was there some single thing that's like made you started wanting to kind of listen to these folks and you're like, wait, something's wrong here. We've been doing this wrong this whole time. Well, you know, the probably the the strongest thing was discovering in the early '90s that um, that the the state had been lying to basically to everybody and imposing an income tax on them that was completely contrary to law. And this is when I still believed in law from the state aspect. And you know, we could get into discussions of what is law. Um, one of the things that I've discovered kind of shocking, but not too surprising. Um, and that is, uh, by the way, have you ever read The Law by Frederick Bastiat? Yes. And yes. And I recommend that to anybody. It's, it's very thin. It's very short reading. That's actually something I read very early on whenever I was 
started my transition. And I don't, I don't ever mention, I don't know why I don't mention. I, I gave that book to a friend of mine for him to read because it's so short. I said, but I want it back. And I still don't have that book back. And now it's back in Arkansas. So I don't have my hands on it. It's readily available online. Just search for the law by Bastiat and you can find any number of, it's translated from French into English. You know, it's an excellent piece. And that got me thinking about the law and recognizing, whoa, you know, we've been basically uh, taught to respect the law, but the law, um, really the only law that we should be respecting is God's law. And in fact, I did a, a research through the scriptures and discovered that of more than 400 instances of the word law, statute, um, commandments, words that are all law or it's cognate, of those 400, maybe if you're being generous, maybe a dozen of them have any reference at all to human-made laws. And in virtually all of those cases, it's, a, it's spoken of pejoratively, spoken of uh, with disdain because the only law that matters is God's law. And in fact, uh, one of the articles I've written you might enjoy reading has to do with Romans 13 and the fact that um, what is being referred to there in Romans 13.1 is in fact God's God and his law and not human uh, government at all. Yes, if you have not read the law, go read this because it. And like I said, it was something I read very early on when I was trying to when I was coming out of my Republican days, you know. And it was after Donald Trump was nominated and all this stuff. And I was, I don't remember who recommended it to me, but I, I picked it up, I read it, I read it a couple of times actually because it, and that really kind of started me down a rabbit hole of unlearning things that I've been taught my entire life. And that's, yeah, that's, a, that's probably a great place to start is that book, The Law. And then you can go from there and get into, like you mentioned, Larkin Rose, uh, The Most Dangerous most dangerous Superstition. That's another great book, too. And it really, when you start reading this stuff, you're like, you start making, man, why were these people teaching me? Because what they're saying is not is not anything that can be disputed. Right. If you want to go, if you look at it honestly, everything that they were saying in these books you can't dispute it because it's we see it at we see it happening right before our eyes on a daily basis. And then we talked about this a little bit before we started recording how my frustration with 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 Christians and how they're still involved with the state and still trying to, to fix things through the state because they're afraid of the other team and but they're seeing this stuff. If 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 the last two years did not wake people up to what's been going on with, with the government, I don't know if anything will. And so I I, I don't know what has to happen. What has to happen for people to kind of wake up and realize this is not right, especially Christians, man. Come on. Where are we at as Christians? Part of, I think, of what has to happen is we need to knock off the pedestal um, some misapprehensions. The, the church, I see the church, the ecclesia, as having gone seriously wrong at a couple of major points in history. One, of course, was Constantine where essentially uh, the, the Roman emperor, as I understand it, um, pretty much co-opted the church so as to avoid having it uh, essentially replace it. You know, I, I believe God intends for the church to totally replace and obviate the, the kingdoms, the fiefdoms of Satan. But uh, Constantine and the, our adversary, the devil, got clever and kind of 
he brought the church under his wing. But then another another place where things went seriously wrong, you know, it's it it falls under the category of replacing the commandments of God with the traditions of men. Uh, and that was during the Reformation. Now, I'm not saying the Reformation was was bad or unnecessary. I think it was crucial and it was it was a good thing. However, uh, it didn't quite go far enough and it suffers from a, a severe miscategorization of things. Namely, it's this, and that is the reformers divided the world into ecclesiastical governance and civil governance, when the true distinction is kingdom of God, kingdom of Jesus versus kingdoms or fiefdoms of Satan. And so the reformers view this sphere, they call it a sphere of civil government as something legitimate. They see it as something good, something that they want to get their finger into and participate in and change from the inside out. When the reality is that throughout scripture, the scriptures uniformly, universally teach that those those organizations, those structures are Satan's governance system. And they're based on evil principles and they're directly influenced by demons. And, you know, we should be coming out from them and being separate. Right. And that's, that's, that's another, another frustration of Craig's is the, we, when Jesus was tempted with that power, he refused it. Yep. He didn't, he, he did not dispute what, Je, what Satan was saying when Satan said, I've been, I've been given the authority over the kingdoms of this, of this world. And I can give you that power if you just bow down to me. He didn't dispute what Satan said. He just said, no, I'm good. I don't, that's not my, I've got my own kingdom. And if they, if, if we're followers of Christ, would we, why would we not want to follow in that same foot, you know, his same footsteps like the early church did, you know, the early Christians. And it got muddied up with Constantine and it just gotten worse and worse over the years. And it's, I think, I think we're seeing right before our eyes, the crumbling of the United States empire because I don't think that they can sustain themselves at this point. And the church needs to be ready for Christians need to be ready for that because it's going to be a little chaotic at first. People are going to be freaked out. I think if it does happen in our lifetime or when it does happen, it's going to be chaotic, but Christians need to be able to take the lead there. And like, listen, we've been telling you this whole time, there's a better way. And his name is Jesus. He's got, he's got our best interest in mind and we can follow along what he taught us and things will be, things will be fine. You know, that's where, um, and I mentioned this before, I think, in our discussion group where there was a guy who had a question about Christian anarchism and he's not really on, on board with the anarchy side of it because he has questions. He's trying, maybe he's still trying to work through it. I said, we're, you know, we're secular anarchists. They have an idea of what a voluntary society is, but Christian anarchists, Christians have already answered these questions that you have. You know, how, what would that society look like without a civil government like you were just talking about? You know, and I was pretty ignorant to, the Reformation. When I when I start first started running around in these circles, I was ignorant to Calvinism. I was I was ignorant to the Reformation, and I didn't even know it existed until I started getting in these circles. And there's a lot of a lot of these folks that run around in these same circles too. And I agree with what you said. They do they do still think that they can get their fingers in there and fix it. And I see a lot of these people 
going back and trying to work through like the Mises caucus and the libertarian party and all this stuff, because they think that's how we're going to get things fixed. And I, I'm like, y'all, y'all have a ball. I, I, I don't really, I, I mean, I'll still argue with them some about it. Not like I used to, I used to get into pretty heated debates with them about it. And now I'm like, go waste your time. I don't, I'm not going to waste my time on it. It's too exhausting. But if you want to go waste your time and wear yourself out doing that, have a ball. I'm just, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward without that garbage. Yeah, well, I think I think what the church needs to realize is that we are, in fact, God's new governance structure. You know, and and what I'm coming to see as I read the New Testament in Greek and and read it with a different pair of glasses on, so to speak, uh, is that it is a handbook for governance. It's a it's a handbook for how we're to um, govern society and. It is to be completely voluntary, uh, and the only the only power that God, the only authority God grants the church for enforcement, shall we say, is ultimately He says that we, if we have a, a problem with our brother, we go to him directly, and if we can't resolve it, then we bring a couple of fellows with us, and you know, make sure that all the facts are established. And if that doesn't resolve it, then we take it to the whole ecclesia, to the assembly, our local group. And if that doesn't resolve it, then ultimately the only uh, enforcement, quote and unquote, authority that the church has is to eject that person. You know, Paul says, give them into the hands of Satan. There's a pretty good indicator that um, the fiefdoms out there are, you know, still in Satan's hands. Uh, we just eject them from the church and let let the world take care of them. But the my my growing vision for what this should be is that okay. Let me back up a little bit. I I kind of despaired. You know, you look at you look at the history of the world and of America, let's say, and a lot of persecuted people left uh, the continent and came over to America looking for liberty. And as I've become more and more aware of how little liberty there is in the world, I've kind of despaired because there's really no place left to go. And then I was um, somewhat encouraged to come across the, the concept of seasteading. I don't know if you've come across that at all. But the idea is that, um, you know, people that are looking for a different governance structure or more liberty could build seasteads, that is, floating communities out in the ocean, out of the jurisdiction of, of these uh, fiefdoms of Satan. Uh, and the, this is not necessarily religiously motivated, but just, you know, motivated by the, the desire every human being, uh, every, you know, real human being has to be free and not to be oppressed and, and ruled by some tin pot dictator. So, you know, I looked at those with, with some uh, interest and then it, it came to me, hey, this is exactly what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be forming our own little, not seasteads, but we need to deny this, this evil concept of territorial jurisdiction. And we need to be what God says we are, which is a, a holy nation you know, the Apostle Peter wrote to us and said that we're a peculiar people. We're special, and but we come, it, it, we're not 
organized along geographic or ethnic lines, we come from every tribe and nation and tongue and kindred on the face of the earth. And the thing we have in common is our Lord and King, Jesus, and our acknowledgement that he's the one that, that rules us. And so the another, okay, another big piece of the message I have is that a major portion of the good news has been abandoned by the church, and that is the good news of the kingdom. That, that's what John the Baptist came preaching. That's what Jesus followed up and went around the world preaching. And that's what the apostles really were preaching. You know, there's really good news. There's a new boss in town. We don't have to kiss the, the feet of these other ignorant, um, tyrannical monstrosities. We can just follow Jesus. And so we need to take that authority and that power as God's people and just deny the rule of the the tyrants around us. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Well, that was a great segue into your article. We spent about 40 minutes here going over a lot of things. And I, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I could keep talking to you about it, but I don't want to leave out your article either because that was kind of what brought us together, but you kind of segued into it. And that was, that was, that was perfect. And the title of this article again is tired be gone. Say hello to the new boss. And if folks, if you've not read it, go to the and, and pull it up. It's a great piece. And, I just kind of want to start at the, at the very beginning. I think we've touched on it a little bit, but he said the church is misunderstood. Like many traditional religious concepts these days, our ideas about what the church is are very far away from what the church was actually meant to be. And we've already talked about that quite a bit already, I think. And you says, good news, tyrants are so over. That's right. There's a new boss in town. And I love this this part. I'm at the very beginning of the article, but I love this. He said, actually, he's been in charge for thousands of years already. But unfortunately, his press agents got sidetracked and dropped the ball. They've done a marginal job of informing the public of the change at City Hall. And I, <laughs> I love that little that little paragraph right there. When I read that, I laughed because I, it was it was so true. Because I we've done what you said a marginal a marginal job of, of of letting people know who the boss is, who who Jesus is, and and who is the King. And you know, because there's so much in just that one little paragraph. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well. You know, actually, we've done a worse than marginal job. Um, we have totally misdirected everyone sitting in a pew to worship the state. And it's uh, l largely been a result of bad translations. Uh, and the great granddaddy of them all is Romans 13. So, you know, if you look at Romans 13, 1, let me paraphrase that two ways. I'm going to paraphrase it. First, the way that 
I think that uh, the church has mistaught it and has used it as a bludgeon on the head of every believer. Basically, it says, hey, you pew sitters, you better kiss the feet of government because God put them there. God put them there. You better do whatever they tell you to do because if you resist what they say, man, you're just resisting God. So that's my egregiously bad paraphrase of 13.1. But now let me, let me read it the way I believe it actually should be read. Let every soul, I don't care if you are a gutter sweep or the freaking president of the United States, you need to be subject to the highest authorities, namely God and his word. For there is no other source of authority. God is the source of authority. And if you resist his authority, you are of none authority. <laughs> I love it because you're right. That is the granddaddy of them all, the Romans 13. And I, I was discussing this a little bit with a guy at work, a coworker, and we got into voting and politics. And he's still of the mind that we've got to get more Christians in office to make things better. And it's all this all this garbage. And then he, he I think it's in it's first Peter, second Peter, he brought up, uh, or no, that's not where it was. He, he said somewhere in the Bible, said the government will be up on his shoulders. So he takes that in, the, in, in his head to say that the government, the United States government will be up on the shoulders of Jesus Christ Yeah, is what he's taking that to mean. And so I hit him with, I was like, so are you saying the same thing about Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Russia, uh, China, all these countries that you disagree with? You know, are you saying the same thing about that? I said, you can't just think that this is about the United States of America. And I think that's a, a big problem in, in, in Christianity in America is they, they have this idea that we're the good guys. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The United States government has probably killed a Holocaust worth of people. That is, that is not what Jesus told us to do. Absolutely. Well, the news is that there are no good guys among the fiefdoms of Satan. Yeah, I'm sure there's any number of deluded well-meaning people that have been swept up into it. But what they're not really recognizing and realizing is that they are participating in Satan's um, efforts to destroy the world. And they're doing a darn good job of it the last couple of years, actually. Uh, and the, the, sooner, the sooner the church wakes up and realizes that universally throughout Scripture, the Scriptures teach that Jesus is in fact in the process of bringing those fiefdoms to nothing, of destroying them, of bringing them down. And here we are, you know, trying to shore them up. <laughs> it's, it, it makes no sense at all, and it drives me crazy. It has to be. It, this is where I'm at with it. It has to be on some level of fear in these people's minds. You know, when Jesus brought us out of that, he said, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? You know, but there's, there's this mindset that, well, if we get the right amount of Christians in office, things would get better. A lot of the founders of this country called themselves Christians. And now we've got Joe Biden as president. He calls himself a Christian. He attends church on a regular basis. Why do you think that you can fix this by putting more Christians in office? We, we've done it. Now, are they really Christians? Probably not. Okay. 
but the, it's, it's, it, it's, it looks good for him to say it. You know, George W. Bush called himself a Christian. It was God that was leading him to run for president of the United States. His mom told him that, you know. And But then what happened nine months later after he was took office? We've been at war for over 20 years now. That's not that, that's not Christ-like. There's nothing Christ-like about that. So, you know, the other the other things that really drive me crazy is that uh, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled to God. What ambassador, even in the human sense, you know, participates in the government where they're an ambassador? Yeah. No, they're there just to represent their own government. You know, we we need to represent the kingdom of God, not participate in the the fiefdoms of Satan. Well, and you you mentioned this, and this there's this, this portion of your article that says, but you've heard it all before, right? If you're a Christian, probably probably even if you're not, you've likely heard some form of this message, perhaps tagged as the gospel, i.e., the good news. That message is correct as far as it goes. Unfortunately, it doesn't go far enough. There's more to that message. More strikingly good news that seems to have fallen by the wayside. There's an important component of this good news about Jesus that hasn't been reported either sufficiently or accurately. The missing part is the good news of the kingdom of God. When we hear the gospel, when people, the vast majority of Christians, they hear, when they talk, think gospel or they think the good news, they're thinking about being saved from hell. Right. Okay. They don't think of the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, it's the same thing when Jesus was resurrected. He went. And he sent women to go tell the men who were hiding about the good news. What was that good news? And you just said it right here, the kingdom of God. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Exactly here. And the, the thing is that the, the church has pushed that off to some distant point in the future rather than allowing it to be here. Yeah. Back in the book of Luke, uh, we see... Mary rejoicing over the the advent of the kingdom. And then we see Zechariah also talking about the fact that, hey, here here is the one who's going to deliver us from our enemies. Now, who are the enemies? The it was the Rome. <laughs> it was Rome that uh, you know that they needed deliverance from. And yeah. because of uh, you know, because of our being born into America or wherever we happen to live, you know, we have this illusion that, oh, we're, we're Americans and we, uh, you know, America is good. And, and, um, when, you know, the, the more you open your eyes, the more you refuse to comply with whatever the current regime is, the more you realize, Hey, this, this outfit is not my friend. This is not my savior. This is my destroyer. I need to be delivered from this monstrosity. Yes. And it, it, this portion of the article, aren't you sick and tired of tyrants? I think that's a great question. And I think it's a question we should be asking every Christian involved with the state, trying to get back into the state, trying to work through the state to fix things. This, this, is, this should be a question that we ask them because even your favorite person that you're running and voting for is a tyrant. Aren't you sick of it? You know, what was what's that thing that Einstein said? He said the uh, what is insanity doing the same thing over and over, expecting different res- results. Yeah. You know, and, and you mentioned you briefly mentioned the covid debacle in this article as well. In, the, in this portion, the idea that you're going to change things through the state and not recognizing what's happened the last two years. It's got to be something blinded. What Something is blinding them from from opening 
up to this. And I, I, I go back to this all the time. I think it's the fear. There's a fear aspect to this. They're, they're terrified of too many Democrats in office or too many Republicans in office, you know, and then libertarians are afraid of Republicans and Democrats. So they're going to put as many libertarians in office as they can, you know, it's because they're afraid of the other team. But at the same time, you're still putting somebody in power over your neighbor. You're putting somebody in power over your brothers, your sisters. That's not what Jesus told us to do. And Paul said that uh, this was, no, it was Jesus said this. You see how the Gentiles lord over them. It will not be the same among you. One of, one of Satan's biggest ploys is dividing and conquering. You know, basically, he, he splits people up into two camps and gets them battling each other uh, instead of uh, battling the, the issues or battling him. You said at the very the last portion of that, of that section of the article, he says, the only power they have at all is the utterly unjust, raw power to rob, hurt, and enslave you. Everything you may have been told suggesting that either God has or the people have authorized this state to do that dirty work is a lie from the deepest, darkest pit of hell. And you mentioned earlier that these 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 kingdoms of this world are backed by demons. These these the, the demons are working through this. You talk, you know, it's it's those are the ones that are behind this. Why are you trying to fix that? Why are you being involved with it? We gotta walk away. We gotta go back to the, the, the teachings of Christ. We gotta follow Jesus. Yep. Couldn't couldn't agree more. So you mentioned Romans thirteen. You kind of paraphrased how you how you see Romans thirteen. How in light of Romans thirteen, how do you how do you read Acts five? Because this is you know we were talking about the Greek earlier, and I've I've had some folks disagree with me about this, and honestly, and to be transparent about this, the, the one who's disagreed with me about this translation is a Calvinist, and he's he's still trying to work through the state, the civil government that you were talking about earlier. But in Romans 13, it talks about submission. And in Acts 5, it talks about obedience. And I looked up the two words in the Greek, like I was no Greek scholar. And the way I read these definitions of these two words, there's two different definitions of submission and obedience. Are you, do you see it the same way since you've been kind of studying this? Or am I, am I missing something here? No, a- a- absolutely right. There's, um, there's a lot of poorly understood um, words. <laughs> so, you know, the whole idea of rulers, actually, the, the Greek is more the idea of people that are first or primary, the, ar- the archon idea. It's more a concept of leadership that um, we voluntarily follow rather than dictatorship where, where rules are laid down hard and fast and must be followed. The only rules, the only real legitimate rules are literally the law of God. And beyond that, for us believers, God writes those laws in our hearts. So we don't need to even, I mean, we we certainly respect the scriptures and, you know, use them as a guideline, but we don't need to slavishly be carrying around the book and, you know, checking uh, every move that we make. As long as uh, we are following Jesus' law of love, he says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So I I believe our calling as the church, as the assembly, is to step out of the world, to govern ourselves, to uh, voluntarily submit to church leaders who are really the, the true model of 
servant leadership that that the New Testament speaks of. This next portion of the article, here's the crux of the matter. At the very end of this portion, you said, we are not to support the substan- substantively participate in the failed kingdoms of this world, which are based upon satanic principles. I don't think we can say that enough. And I think we need to say that as loud as we can and, and keep beating that drum about how it is these, these kingdoms, even the United States of America is based off the satanic principles. We, we have to recognize it very quickly as Christians. Otherwise, it's just, you're going to keep going down this path that, is, that only leads to destruction. And you said, instead, we are to be and become a decentralized, distributed replacement governance system that acknowledges only the sovereign authority of King Jesus, denying the allegiance to any other jurisdiction, territorial or otherwise. I love that. I love that. It it sounds you and I when we when we can sit here and talk about this and we can we can agree on this and it sounds so simple in our mind. But when you're talking to somebody that has not kind of reached that that the level we're at in our understanding of where we're supposed to be, it, it's not sinking in. And it's and that's what I'm wanting to try to penetrate with folks is try to understand why is this sinking in? You read these same scripture, you read the same Bible that I'm reading. What is it that's not sinking in? Where's that block coming from? And that's that's really something that I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately is how do we get past that? What has to happen for you to see that the state is evil and you're a Christian and we're supposed to abstain from evil? We're still not supposed to be a part of it. Yeah. One, one thing, a tool that I think might be helpful, uh, one of the articles I wrote, I have kind of an A-B comparison chart that compares and contrasts the principles the state runs on versus the principles I believe the ecclesia should be running on. And so that that might be a useful tool. Um, I think that the core concept of of the libertarian philosophy is pretty much spot on, which is not to initiate violence. And that's what the state does all the time. Violence in defense, well, I, I struggle with it a bit, but you know, I think at least that has legitimate value and that we're we're taught to by scripture to provide for and care for our own households. But uh, the core the core concept of liber- libertarianism, not to initiate violence, but even even more, go back to for a minute, um, this idea of no human being or group of human beings having legitimate right to rule over other humans. This was essentially the original sin that Satan committed. Satan said in his heart, I'm going to ascend and be like God. And what is the the core of that is uh, I'm going to rule over other people. God, God gave us the the right and the authority to rule over creation, to rule over the animal kingdom, um, but never, ever to rule over one another. The only one who has that right is God himself, Jesus, our creator. That's right. That is right. Maybe the core thing to get across to people about the state is that the state is committing the same crime as Satan. They are assuming God, godness by asserting that they have a right to arbitrarily dictate to us what to do. The next portion is implementing God's kingdom. 
To enter God's kingdom demands that we leave the kingdoms of this world in the dust of history by establishing something utterly superior to and independent of them all, leaving them manifestly obsolete. Only as we begin to do this, as we begin to seek first the kingdom of God, will the masses of humanity, now oppressed by the beast, kingdoms, begin to see and be drawn into their true king and his people. This is something that I've, this is something I've been spouting a lot lately. We've got to walk away from these kingdoms and just, and leave them in the dust. We walk away from it. I've opted out of these, these kingdoms. I'm, I'm following, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything else is going to be added, right? If, if we don't think, if, if God's not a liar, if Jesus is not a liar, he said that everything else will be added up to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, yeah, I have a, a few positive thoughts, perhaps, on how we can go about that. We need some. We need some positive thoughts today. We seems like we've been pretty negative so far. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. I'm. I'm glad we we've got this segue here. And so, um, I mentioned earlier that the church seems to have missed this this very important part of the good news, which is the kingdom of God, and. We need to, as the church, as the assembly of God's people, stop viewing the assembly as something purely spiritual. You know, this this is not a spiritual social club, you know, where we come and and learn and, you know, then we go home and go back to our normal lives. Um, we need to be be God's kingdom in this world. We need to be, so I, one of the things I am is an inventor. It's the way God wired my brain. We need to be creators in this world. We need to reflect God's image by creating things of, of value. Uh, we need, among the church or in the assembly, we need to encourage one another in our occupations. We need to help help one another provide for our families. We need to trade with each other. We need to find and use good, solid, sound weights and measures like Bitcoin, for example. We need to become an economic system. The um, Quakers and the Amish and the, the uh, Mennonite brethren, they got some of this idea through that you know they they preserve some of these ideas better and i i'm no expert on any of those you know we we all have elements of good and elements of error in in what we've come to learn and know and practice but we need to con continually move in the direction of um, we as brothers and sisters in christ we need to be encouraging endeavors like like your bad Roman project, you know, that's fantastic. I'm so thankful for you, Craig, and, and what you're doing here. You're helping to expand the kingdom of God in the world. We need to, um, I, I don't know if you know of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and some of their peers, they had a group, they called themselves the Inklings, and they would get together and they would encourage one another in the development of their writing and their art. And we need to be doing those things as God's people. Uh, we need to be helping one another. I mean, we can take advantage of and leverage even the, the elements of the fiefdoms of Satan. For example, in America, there's this very strong idea of separation of church and state. Well, you know, instead of, instead of running with that, 
most churches in this nation have become 501c3 corporations and basically are subservient to Satan himself. What we need to do is we need to declare our independence. We need to independently be churches and shelter our members from taxation and from all of the, the depredations of the state around us. We need to be uh, encouraging entrepreneurism. We need to be helping one another create things of value in the world and establish enterprises that bring wealth into God's kingdom. And then we can use, use that wealth appropriately to advance his kingdom in the world. So there's a couple of positive thoughts about how the church needs to begin acting. We need to declare our total independence from territorial jurisdiction. We need to deny those jurisdictions. Uh, You know, this whole COVID thing made it so clear that the state is out to shut the church down and we need to push back and be be God's people in the midst of, of the world. And I think this very this, this this last section of your article is is also positive. We can end on it with this this very last section. I want to read a, a little bit of it, and then first of all, thank you very much for the kind words about the project. I, that stuff like that really helps keep me going and keeps me encouraged to keep going because it, it gets frustrating sometimes. But I will say this: I will say this first that the vast majority of the responses that we get from people, if I read reviews about the podcast on on Apple or wherever people, the vast majority of people that are listening have been very positive. And every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody that's basically wants to hit me with Romans 13. I've heard all this garbage before, you know, I'm still, but the vast majority of, of, of people that have been listening or following what we're doing have been very positive. And I very, and I, and I appreciate that so much because it keeps us going. It keeps us motivated to keep talking about this because, and I also encourage people to, Start their own podcast because you're going to have a different perspective. Keep, you know, we need to flood the arena with this stuff. We need to, we need a lot of people talking about that, not just Craig and not just Duncan. We need a lot of Christians coming out of the woodworks to start talking about this. And the more people are doing, I think it's going to resonate a lot better with folks. All right. The very end says King Jesus, the new boss, say hello to the new boss. He's actually been the king for almost 2000 years, though the church has largely dropped the ball manifesting that truth. The really good news is that he's a benevolent king. He's tendered a very generous offer, one that is of this writing is still available to you, dear reader. Listen to what the one true king says. I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the brightest say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. Jesus. I love that. I love the way you ended this. And I think that's. I like the way we end this, this this episode too on a positive note because like there, there's a lot of negative out there and we're going to talk about it. We have to talk about it. If we, we can't turn a blind eye to it because it's there. There's a lot of negative stuff going on, but we, so we have to recognize it. I think so. We need to talk about it. More people need to be talking about it. You have anything else you want to say on that, just, or did you like the way that ended? Uh, that was pretty good. I just want to share uh, with you a passage I was reading today that just encouraged me. As I mentioned, I've been reading through the New Testament in Greek, and I just got to the end of 1 Timothy. By the way, I'm not reading in order of the the normal order of the books. I found a list of the books in terms of their Greek difficulty. So it's kind of a progressive ramping up of the difficulty. But 
I'm, I'm going to read this, of course, in English. Um, and this, this impressed me. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now get this. This is He ties that good confession in with the Lord Jesus. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So what was that good confession? Jesus confessed, my kingdom is not of this world. And here Paul is exhorting Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, to fight for a kingdom that's not of this world. Then he goes on and says, uh, and I'm skipping a bit here, but he says, Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. In case there was any question in your mind about the good confession, here it is. The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. So, you know, this Jesus who holds out um, a branch of peace to his enemies, you know, we're still in a period of time where he hasn't crushed them under his feet yet. It's still open. You know, we, we need to be the assembly that draws people to this benevolent, wonderful king and lord of all who to him be dominion forever and ever it's just amazing to me and i'll always make that offer available as long as i have breath that jesus jesus says hey you can come and be a part of this voluntary new society you can live in a way that's totally free that's not subject to the whim of dictators that uh, a worthy ruler you know jesus is worthy of all power and dominion and authority, and he he has used it and is continuing to use it for our blessing and benefit. So I'm so thankful. That is that is super encouraging. And I, I think if people just sit back, and listen to what, what Duncan just said, because that should be very encouraging to every Christian, even if you're still kind of entangled with the state. You know, use the word to keep Giles. You know, you got to. That's encouraging to know that that's, that 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 offers there. We can walk away from this. We we've already got him. We've already got him as our king. Yep. He's already there. It's it's there. We just got to trust him. Yep. Trust him and quit being afraid of what might happen. Trust in Jesus. And I'm not saying that we're going to be living a life of luxury as a Christian. <laughs> we all know that that's not true. It's one of the hardest ways to live a life because of the world, because of the kingdoms of this world, because of, you know, because of the demons and Satan trying to push it back, you know, against what we're talking about. But they can't overcome the truth. In the end, the truth will always win. Uh, another of my huge themes of my life and heart is the new heavens and the new earth. And I wish we could get into that sometime. Well, I was just fixing to ask you. I mean, I would love to have you back on the show anytime. And I, I know you know you're friends with uh, Paul Perriol. And I think it would be fun if I could get both y'all together on the show and have a conversation. I would be able to get a huge kick out of that. But we have a you know an amazing, I mean, what, 
in in the end, okay, so I know there there are varying views on this, but ultimately, and, and I, you know, this is how I keep reading scripture. Ultimately, Jesus will destroy all of these fiefdoms of Satan. So there's going to be some crisis point. You know, I wish I knew when, but I don't. <laughs> um, at which he's going to kick kick butt and take names. And you know, the the good news is that that hasn't happened yet, and people are still free to enter the kingdom. But once that happens, he taught Peter talks about the kingdom that's to come, uh, which is he calls it the dwelling place, the residence of righteousness. You know, the, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And there's no longer going to be any crying or pain or, you know, none of this tyranny, none of this misery. Uh, all of the, that's going to be absolute history. Uh, and we have an eternity by God's kindness to look forward to, eternity of joy. And, you know, you and I will get to hang out all we want and do some amazing adventures together. and. Man, it's uh, the boy. I get excited. the the uh, The James Webb Telescope is giving us a deeper glimpse into the universe and its huge vastness. And I, I've been a science fiction fan since childhood. I should have mentioned that, and I continue to read and enjoy it. And by God's grace, to know that I'm going to live it, I'm going to go travel to all of these galaxies and planets. And yeah, wow. That's pretty cool, man. Because and it, I think that's something we also forget too. That the the, the stuff that that, that is, seems secret to us that God's going to reveal to us at, at one time, you know. And we have this childlike wonderment about us when we think about the the vastness of God and His creation. You know, I think I think that's so cool. I think it's going to be interesting too. And I, yeah, we'll get to hang out, and whether we see it in this life or the next, it's it's we're going to get to hang out sometime and, and go on some adventures. Because it's not it's, that's pretty that's that's a pretty cool way to look at it. It's pretty exciting. I think we should be excited about that. I'm I'm totally jazzed, and I I, pre <laughs> I appreciate your patience with letting me drag things on a little bit. No, no, no. I love it. Like I, I mean, I man, if I could talk to you for two or three hours, I'd I'd, I'd go on. But before I let you go, why don't, if you have anything you want to plug your website or anything, let us know where we can find the rest of your your writings at. So I've been writing on the blockchain for years now. I started out writing on Schemit uh, when I first discovered that uh, realm. And then Schemit, the whole the community pretty much picked up and departed for another clone of that blockchain called Hive. And that's where I hang out mostly these days. And it's um it's kind of a linear thing, you know, which I find frustrating because you're essentially you're only as good as your last article, which is at the top of the heap. <laughs> so what I've done is I've created kind of a library structure so that um, people can browse my stuff. And I have different what I call shelves in the library. But my main library, I'll, I'll give you the link to that and you can. It'll be in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah, it's. Hive.blog, hive.blog slash at sign C-R-E-A-T-R. -E and actually the the library portion, if you there's a, a like a banner at the top of that page and a link with a little link symbol in the middle. And if you click on that link, it'll take you to my library, which is 
way out of date, but more or less organized. And I'm at least trying to keep the Kingdom of God article library shelf up to date. Great. Yes. And if y'all have not read this article, folks, I encourage you to go to the badroman.com and I'm sure you can find it on the website he just mentioned as well. So go check it out. Go read some of Duncan's stuff because it's, I, I got to say, I, I talk to a lot of people these days, especially people who are connected to the project. And I've really enjoyed our conversations, you know, when, when we get a chance to kind of message each other back and forth and you're you have a you you're very encouraging and I appreciate you so much and I, I want I'm, I'm thankful that we can we can connect you know like this or you know through text sometimes too and so keep doing what you're doing and and, and keep uh, promoting the kingdom of God I think we're gonna we're gonna see it and come to its full fruition and it's gonna be amazing and it's nothing something we can't describe you know in our small minds but it's gonna be it's gonna be great there's no doubt in my mind about that yeah thank thank you thanks a lot Craig yes sir I will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.